This is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times. You know, things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is July 13th, 2016, and this is episode 1826 of the Survival Podcast. And I'm jazzed about this, man. Um, today's interview is going to be with a guy many of you know, and many of you are going to be like, I've never heard of him. Um, but I would say he's definitely moved into the uh, the status of at least minor to uh, medium uh, YouTube celebrity. His name is Charles, the humble mechanic. He's a master certified Volkswagen technician, uh, or mechanic if you prefer. He's been uh, wrenching on Volkswagens for over a decade. He also runs the video channel Humble Mechanic, a show to help people better understand cars, help new technicians get into the field, and try to give an inside look into the automotive industry. He's also right out of this audience. He's a guy that said one day, you know, this Jack Spirico guy and a lot of other people say that if I really want success in my life, I can just go out and create it. So he set up his channel. He learned about WordPress. He learned about blogs and websites. He started from scratch and learned as he went. And he's dead serious when he says, if, you can, if I can do it, anyone can. In his own journey, he's learned in his own words that you don't have to be razor sharp with business skills. You just have to work hard, be yourself, and really want to help your audience. And he's going to talk about how he set up his YouTube channel, how he's built it, how he's grown it, how he's made connections with uh, companies that want now him to talk about what they're doing, uh, how he's built his audience, and how he's monetized it into a part-time income. It's not full-time yet, but... He's doing pretty good for a guy with a part-time YouTube channel. And I think a lot of us out there think, well, not everybody can do that. And I'll tell you what, not everybody can do that, but everybody can do something, as I keep telling you. But I think a lot of people think, oh, YouTube, I, I, I couldn't do that video and, and, and you know, reviews or whatever. I don't. You know what? If you can be interesting and you have something to say and you know about something that other people want to know about, You can have a business in today's day and age. And YouTube's one platform. I do put stuff out on YouTube myself, but you know what I do? 99% of my efforts goes to audio. And I often joke with my wife and say, I don't know why you're with me, because I have a voice and a face made for radio. <laughs> It helps to have a sense of humor about yourself. That's another thing we'll talk about today. And with that, before we get Charles on the line, let's go ahead and take, uh, take a listen to our two sponsors of the day. You know, guys, I've been telling you about how Safe Castle Royal has everything for your prepping needs for over seven years now. Everything's a big word, but in this case, it's true. Of course, they have long-term storage food, water purification equipment, shelters, solar and wind components, and more. But hey, did you know they even have an amazing fold-down, bug-out bicycle? Yeah, they actually have two of those. For everything you could ever need as a prepper, and I do mean everything, check out safecastle.com today. Hey, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, you know I love to cook. And my go-to source for spices, seasonings, sauces, and information is Chef Keith Snow's site, HarvestEating.com. Give Chef Keith a try, and you'll see why I use his products at least a few times every single week in my own kitchen. You can learn more at HarvestEating.com. And with that, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1826. I have for you three segments today, one religion, one world, and one big headache. Very 
poignant stuff. You should read it to understand more about a subject that we don't hear much about because I'm not going to read that one today. The second one I have is the one I'm going to read today, the 50th Independence Day. That's something I think we really never even think about how big a deal that must have been for people. And, well, I'll save it for when I read it. An early Texas Independence Day is the other subject. Very, very interesting. And I almost read it being a Texan, but I decided to read the middle one. And in other news, the internal combustion engine is patented in the United States of America. The engine has unique features for the time, such as a carburetor and valves. Maybe I'll ask Charles if he knew that the the first internal combustion engine was patented in 1826. The galvanometer is invented. What's that? That's the needle on your audio meter that jumps back and forth as you're talking into the microphone. In the days of USB and condenser mics, I don't have a galvanometer. Uh, One-third of West Point cadets are involved in the eggnog riot. A few enterprising cadets sneak whiskey into the eggnog at the Christmas Day with predictable results. One of the participants is young Jefferson Davis, who will become president of the Confederate States. So let me read the 50th Independence Day for you. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Even though we celebrate on July 4th when the document was ratified, there's always been controversy over which day to celebrate. Contrary to the famous picture depicting the Founding Fathers lining up to sign the founding document, not all the signers were present on the same day. Many of them signed on August 2nd. The Liberty Bell was rung on July 8th, but the actual vote for independence It was on July 2nd. John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, quote, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in American history. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by seceding generations as a great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, an illumination from one end of this continent to the other from time forward forevermore. And my take by Alex Shrug. Sorry, John, it was July 4th, but a great tragedy occurred on that July 4th, 1826. John Adams passed away at his home in Braintree, Massachusetts, now named Quincy. He was 90 years old. His last words were, Thomas Jefferson survives. He could not have known that Jefferson had died earlier that day in his home in Monticello. The two men had been good friends, then bitter rivals, but after retirement, their mutual friend, Benjamin Rush, conspired to bring them together again, at least in leather writing. They didn't always agree, but their correspondence gave them an opportunity to explain to themselves, to each other. They also knew they would be reading their, that we would be reading their letters years later, so it gave them an opportunity to send a message to us as well. I think one of the things that comes through in John Adams' letter to Abigail is, you know, he says, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by generations. He he has a little bit of arrogance that sort of comes through with this one that doesn't. Adams was kind of an arrogant man. And he felt, for instance, that he deserved to be our first president, yet he knew he wouldn't win from Washington and felt that there would be no nothing that he would accept lower than vice president, but as he became the vice president, he uh, he realized that maybe uh, serving the legislature would have been a better a better thing to do. Um, didn't really have anything to do as vice president. He had a, a, a desire to create an uh, almost an aristocratic uh, aristocracy level of 
devotion to our, our president. He, he, he suggested things like his excellency for what to refer to the president as. And I think part of that was ego and seeing maybe one day I'll be that excellency. But I think the other was he did have a knack for engaging in diplomacy with the crown of England and maybe thinking about equals. But one thing I, I've noticed in my research of John Adams is his arrogance, like many of us, declined with his age increasing. Um, and I think that that is the sign of a wise man. And I think it's interesting when people kind of say, well, on the 4th of July, should we really be setting off fireworks and should be having you know, bonfires and, and celebrating so joyously? And, you know, Do people really... Well, one of the founders, true founders of our country said, and I will say again, in addition to it being commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty, it ought also to have pomp and parade with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other um, for this time forevermore. I think John Adams, if he were alive today, might be disturbed at what his people have done with the liberty that we were given, But I think he would be kind of happy with the way that we celebrate at least part of the way we celebrate the 4th of July, which is something we wouldn't know if we didn't read that letter to Abigail. I think one of the things I really loved about the John Adams miniseries and why I recommend it is that you see how much of John Adams' life he gave away during the founding of this country, how much time from home He spent how much time away from his own children and his wife, who, from everything we know from history, he dearly loved his wife, Abigail. And what you learn is, once he returned home and had done his duty and served as our our, our second president, our third president, I'm sorry, um, they went home and they never left each other's side until July 4th, 1826, when John Adams passed away. That is noble and something we can indeed learn from, even if John Adams himself was a flawed man. And with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. It's my pleasure at this time to introduce the man himself, Charles, the humble mechanic. Hey, Charles, with that, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Jack, thanks so much for having me here, man. I'm I'm super pumped, excited to uh, share my story with uh, the wonderfully awesome TSP community. Man, I've been paying attention to what you're doing for quite a while, and I remember the very beginning. And that's what we're going to talk about today, like what you're doing now with Humble Mechanic. But I always like to let my audience connect with the guests. And I know a lot of people in this audience know who you are, and a lot of people in this audience have no idea who you are, right? <laughs> so can we kind of just go back to like, take us back to like, you know, maybe high school years or something, and how you ended up in your field as a profession, and what led you up to, uh, to what you're doing now? Ooh, the high school years, probably like the worst four years of my life, man. I, I hated high school. I was uh, I was not into it at all. I actually found that um, I was terrible at it. And then when I got my first job, I was like, well, hey, I'm good at this. Like, this makes sense to me. Sitting in a classroom staring at the person sitting in front of me's head was, was not my thing. So um, I tr actually tried the college thing, too, uh, community college. And I think I made it through a total of three classes before I realized that, hey, this is exactly like high school, and I still don't like it. <laughs> so I worked a number of years of retail uh, and, and hated that, too. Uh, man, re mad respect to the folks that work uh, the grind in retail. That's uh, I know how that feels, but I uh, decided when I was about 22, decided to go to automotive tech school, um, basically sold everything I owned to uh, – 
to be able to afford to go to school and I uh, did that for a year. I knew nothing about like really about fixing cars when I went in. So tech school was great for me. Got hooked into uh, a Volkswagen program where I spent 13 weeks learning how to fix Volkswagens. Uh, one day I got a call for uh, a job five or six states away from where we live. We lived in Illinois and uh, boy, am I thankful to be out of there now. Um, and uh, so got a call, flew to North Carolina, called my wife while I was here. I was like, hey, in two weeks, we're moving to North Carolina. She's like, uh, okay, that's cool. Uh, let's do that. So moved, started working at a dealership. I've been turning wrenches for, gosh, 12 and a half years now. Um, started as the guy that didn't know anything in the shop and have oddly moved to like being the old guy in the shop. In fact, just before we jumped on, there was a guy that I was having a conversation with on a car that's 14 years old now because he didn't know anything at all about it. And he's like, man, you're the only one here that knows anything about these things. I'm like, <laughs> thanks, dude. Now I feel really old. Really old. <laughs> you're totally right. Uh, and yeah, so I'd been doing that for a while. And uh, five years ago, I decided to jump in and uh, kind of tell everybody my story and started Humble Mechanic. Very cool, man. You know, you know when you feel old, is when you you're they don't do this much anymore because everybody has MP3 now. But you remember like the sessions, uh, like CD collections and stuff. Yep. When you see a sessions <laughs> ad that says "Remember the great classic hits of the fill in the decade blank," and those are the songs that you listened to when you were in high school and they were new. They yep. Feel freaking old, right? <laughs> the and, hits of 1998. I'm like, wait a minute, that was like. Oh yeah, Damn, that was almost young, 20 years ago. <laughs> great classic hits of the 1980s, and you know, oh god, okay, well I'm an old man now. But anyway, right? um, so this all led you up to starting something called the Hummel Mechanic. Can right. you tell us about that? And, and, and you know, what? Why did you start it? What made you do it? So the <laughs> the birth of this sort of came out of a weird place. Um, you know, I've been a big fan of your show for for quite a while, and when I heard you had a jet, I'm like. Well, I guess I can listen to this guy since he's smart enough to drive a Volkswagen. Um, but that was really cool. Anyway, um, it kind of came out of... And Let me just say real quick, if I was still putting 100 miles a day on, I would still drive a Volkswagen. I do not blame you yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, we own we own three now. Uh, well, I say we. I own three, and my wife drives one of them. She's, <laughs> you know... Anyway, uh, more, more on project cars maybe later. But um, I... I knew that like the social media thing was very new and this was about 2011. So it wasn't really new to most people, but it was really new. I felt like in the automotive space and it was being done in the sales world, but I'm in the service world and nobody was doing anything. So I went to the powers that be where I work and I'm like, Hey guys, like there's something here. We can really stand out. We can really do something different. We're already a part of our local community and people love us. You know, we're, I work at a really great dealership. And why don't we just, like, bring this online and remind everybody from time to time how awesome it is to come here and get your car serviced? Because, I mean, let's face it. Who really wants to take their car in and get it serviced, right? You're sitting in place for two hours. You're paying a bunch of money. And essentially, you don't get really anything back, right? You get a car that's hopefully well-maintained and you don't notice anything different except maybe when you buy new tires or wiper blades, it's, it's the same car you dropped off when you went I'm like, there's a lot more to it. There's, you know, the whole experience. Let's bring this online. So they were like, cool, go ahead and do it. 
uh, I think that lasted two weeks uh. and they, they pulled it and they're like, we're going to have someone else do it. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Um, so I sat on it for about a week and I, honestly I was pissed. I'm like, well, hold on a second. This is all like, this is a good, there's something here. And so I was like, all right, well, out of spite, I'm going to just do it myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, hence, hence the blog was born at the time. I was also trying to get my wife to do her own blog thing. She was, she was trying to do about craft beer. She had, uh, she's really into craft beer, which is, uh, very awesome by the way. And, uh, so I was trying to help her learn the kind of the scope of what to do with it. And the other part of me is like, Charles, you've been like hounding your wife about this for a while. Um, why don't you get off your butt and just do it yourself too? So the, the two kind of came together at the perfect time. And, uh, I jumped on it, man, started writing. I uh, did a lot of writing, realized pretty quick that I'm terrible at that. And, uh, I, I always knew I wanted to do something either in the audio space or the video space, but one of the biggest things holding me back is that I was scared. I mean, it's, in, you know, Jackie, it's, in, it can be intimidating sitting, talking to a monitor or talking to a microphone, or in my case, talking to a, a camera that's camera. three feet away, trying to tell a story when you're getting nothing back. <laughs> you don't yeah. know you mess something up sometimes until you're editing and go, wow, that was a really dumb thing that I said there. That's well, not even close to right. It's not just that. It's like even if you're good at it, if you're used to talking to people and not having that bounce back, it's hard. Like one of my major flaws in my early years in the car when I was podcasting from the car was ending, ending, question, ending sentences with things like, all right. Like, all right, or you get that, or things like that, because... <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was bouncing a, a, a flat ball against water, right? There's no... Yeah, you know what I mean, or know what I'm saying, stuff like that, because there was no there was no way to know if what you were saying was actually impacting people till well, the next day when they said, we liked it or you sucked. Right, right. So, right. you know, <laughs> but you, you got to get over the fear, right? You have to, and, you know, the, my, my editing when I was writing was, if there's no red lines under words... I'm good. And I would post it. And then an hour later, I'd go back and read it and go, Charles, how did you even pass high school English, man? Like, <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. So it, it finally got to the point where I'm like, look, it's taking me so long to write a blog post, you know, like two or three hours, way longer than it should take. But you can have a conversation in seven minutes and cover all of this stuff with way more passion way more authority because you don't look like a moron because you can't spell words right or you're using the wrong tense or whatever. So just quit being a baby about it and do it. So I stopped being a baby about it and did it. And man, those first few shows, boy, were they, were they rough for me to do and they're slow and boring and they're long, uh, way too long for YouTube as, as I learned, uh, down the road. But the point was, is that I did it and, after about 10 shows, I started to kind of get comfortable and, and feel like, okay, you can tell a story. You can tell it quick. You don't have to say more words than you really need to. Just get the point out there and move along. And uh, it took – I would say it took about a year before that started to get traction. But, man, once it's gained some traction, 
the traction really picked up and it's been <laughs> to say it's been a wild ride ever since would definitely definitely be an understatement so i i got three big takeaways to that before we move on for lessons number one you are the most blessed man in the world that your employer pulled the plug on you because they would own your shit instead of you had they not done it Absolutely. Number two, with your wife. If you have somebody in your life that you think should be doing stuff online and you're pushing them, shut up, find your own thing, and do that because you can't be a joystick operator for another person being successful. It's impossible. Right. It's just absolutely impossible. And number three, and the most important for people that want to do podcasts, blogging, video, I don't care what it is, Your concern that you're going to look stupid doesn't matter because you won't have the problem of people paying attention to you for quite a while. You'll put out stuff, it'll suck. It doesn't matter because no one will see it. And well, by the time just... people do see it, right, and they go back and see your original stuff, instead of saying, oh, man, you sucked when you started out, they're like, man, you've come so far. It becomes <laughs> an advantage. So don't worry about it because no one gives a flying, flaming shit when you get started out. You put your video up, you're like, oh, man, everybody's going to think I suck. You, you look at it three days later, it's like four views. Yeah, and you're excited about those four <laughs> views. You're like, yeah. And, of course, three of them are you watching it just as, yeah. you know, when you click on the page. But you're totally right. You know, there is no one paying attention. So get the stupid crap done out of the way, out of your system. Fine-tune and hone your skills while no one's paying attention. Or the people that are paying attention are your fans anyway And that's, it's good to have, you know, some early adopters to at least give you a little bit of encouragement, but who cares? You're, you are going to make mistakes. You are going to look stupid. You're going to say stuff you wish you didn't say. You're going to say things in a way you wish you didn't, or you'll say the wrong word or whatever, but who cares? Like I said, no one's paying attention. Get it out. And, you know, I'd rather get it out of the way while 25 people are watching than 250,000 are watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, at that time, you're also, you're perfecting your craft. Because your craft isn't podcasting or making videos or whatever. That is a piece, a component of your craft. So you're learning like, okay, when I get this set up, then here's how I integrate that with Facebook. Here's how I integrate that with my blog. Here's here's how I create a, 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 a hook to get people to subscribe or subscribe to an email list or follow me on Facebook or, or follow my Instagram or whatever it is you're using. And you don't know any of that crap when you start out. We're going to dig into that here in just a second. But your first couple months, if you figure out how to do that, even if your presentation still sucks, it will be better than it was. And you're about six months in before, in general, some people are lucky and take off faster, but in general, before you really have to worry about whether you suck or not. And right, right, like, totally. Imagine if like, when you were a kid, you wanted to play baseball, and you stood behind the plate, and they threw a pitch to you, and you couldn't hit it. You said, oh, I'll never be good at this and quit. You have to suck. You have to suck at something you've never done to become good at it, right? I mean, very few of us are, like, just naturally talented with any of this stuff. Right, and this was so, so far outside of what my, you know, expertise is that it was really hard for me, one, just to hit record, period, but two, to, to figure this out. I mean, I'd never edited videos before, so... Uh, you know, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? What the heck does this little box look like? Oh, let me Google that real quick. Oh, this is what it means. That doesn't matter to me. <laughs> let me do something else. So it's, uh, the and, learning curve was crazy. And, and let me say time. that that doesn't change because I've been using Sony Vegas for video and audio editing forever. And right now I'm trying to teach myself Final Cut Pro. And I spent about two hours almost punching the monitor. 
of my Mac yesterday because I know I need to learn that editing software. I know I need to move over to using my more powerful machine and and stuff. But when you start over with something, even if you have an app, now I think I'm a good video editor. I don't think I'm great, but I think I'm good enough. Man, like Apple, you're supposed to be intuitive. What the hell? Why doesn't this work? And it's just because I know a different way. And so those people that are out there thinking, well, it's easy for them to say now. Trust me, every time we try to learn something new, we go through that same crap all over again. Well, even when you know the system, and I use Final Cut, and it took me about two weeks of using it before. It was like a light switch because I was using really a terrible editor that crashed all the time. And I switched to Final Cut. And I think one of the times where I emailed you from an airplane, I spent a five-hour flight playing around with it, trying to figure it out, and I still didn't get it. But the flight home, it it was like a light, ding, and it clicked, and I and it's fine now. But it's funny, even when you know the software well. Yeah. Um, I was trying to edit a video last night about a Ferrari event, and I'm like, I did this really cool voiceover, and I've got all these cool videos and transitions, and like the video's coming out really well, and then Final Cut gets really mad at me. And I lost the whole video. I'm like, all right, that's not the end of the world. I go back in, and I'm like a third of the way through it now. And it should have came out last week. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what. We're you know we're here to inspire others. So like, if there was, and there may be, but I haven't found it yet. Like Final Cut in 15 minutes a day on like a two week course that started out with you have nothing, and here's how to and and they actually gave you the files, like. So that you're not trying to do your own thing, and they just said, "Okay, import this, do this. This is how you trim. This is how you put text overlay." And they did that instead of all disjointed on YouTube. And that product was thirty, forty, fifty dollars. I'd buy that bitch tomorrow. You know, it's funny you said thirty, forty, fifty. I was thinking, dude, I would have paid two hundred. I would probably pay, <laughs> if it had good reviews, and I believed it would give me the ability within two weeks to a month at fifteen minutes a day to be half as proficient with Final Cut as I am with Vegas. I lay that two hundred bucks down like that, and there's Absolutely. somebody out there that's a freaking Yoda of it. But here's what Yodas need to learn: you got to become the Padwan to teach the Padwan, right? You, yep. you can't you can't start out with here's how you do awesome effects and stuff. You have to be like, okay, we're gonna start out with, and like I said, I think the way to do this so that you take away because you know, as a content producer, you're all worried about your shit, right? It's like trying to do permaculture design and starting with your own backyard. You can't see it. So if somebody just said we're going to make video a, a movie together, and here's all this stock footage and stock stuff, and you were like painting by numbers, by the time you were done with that, you'd be able to produce videos, and it would probably yep. help you, even though you've been doing it a long time. Yeah, I would even even now as we're talking, I'm like, yeah, I would probably still pay like a hundred bucks for that right, <laughs> for like a semi advanced level there, course. And I'll commit right now. Charles and I will be your first customers, and if you'll put that product out, I'll mention it on the air for you. So. Let's kick somebody in the ass with that. And uh, right. let's ask you another question. I think it's important. I get people all the time. I've been running my blog for ninety days, and I've only made like fifteen dollars. And I'm like, oh, shut up. How long did it take you to start making money with your efforts? Um. All right. So, I I think it's worth saying too that I knew zero. Abs. You couldn't have known less about starting a blog or a podcast or a video show or a website or any of that than I did. The thing I knew about that was I had seen GoDaddy commercials and had heard the words HostGator, right? I had no idea what any of that meant. So it took me probably two months before I could even figure out how to click go on on a website, right? Um, It was after I started committing heavy, it was probably eight months 
and I sold an article, I sold a, uh, a guest post for 20 bucks uh, on my site, and, I, dude, I was so happy. I went nuts. And, I mean, it, that's like 25 minutes worth of work, like, in my day job, right? It's 20 bucks is not a lot of money, but holy crap. That was the best twenty bucks I've ever I've ever made. Even still, I'm like, that's twenty bucks was pretty awesome. <laughs> so, a year. I mean, eight months, a year, and I felt really good about that. You, you know, Charles, I I completely agree with you on that. I monetized my show um, about seven eight months into it, and that's about a good timeline considering that my profession at the time was as a marketer, right? So I came into it, I knew everything about WordPress. Not everything, but I knew, like, put up a blog and get the basic plugins and all that stuff running, fine. Basic video editing, fine. Audio editing, fine. I didn't. I did not know how to do a podcast. I knew how to, like, talk, but I didn't know how to, how to format it. I didn't know how to get it into uh, RSS feeds, get it into iTunes and stuff like that. But I learned all that from Google, and I still took about eight months before I, I put a monetization platform in. And... What that did was let the early adopters say, hey, this guy's, this guy's really trying to help. So when that monetization platform went in, people were willing to be part of it. People wanted to be part of it. And I think people get this concept. They look at someone that's successful and say, well, I should be able to get to where they are you know, fast. I've been doing this eight years as of this, this, this summer. If you think you can go from zero to where somebody is in eight years in, in a week – you know, if you if you do it, great, but it's unrealistic and it hurts your efforts. Right. Most of us are not good enough to do that because if we were good enough, we'd already be doing it. We'd already be there. And, you know, you, you take someone like you who you have all this marketing background and it still takes time. It takes time to build a community. It takes time to build an audience. And you don't want that growth necessarily so fast because you don't know how to manage it anyway. I mean, I could really manage a hundred Facebook followers. That was easy because I could, I recognize everybody's name. It was super easy to get real, you know, personal responses to each and every one. And you know, when as you grow slow, you kind of get used to. Okay, here's what a thousand feels like. Here's mm -hmm. what two thousand feels like. Here's what ten thousand feels like. And when you start to get your numbers higher, which is the goal, you know, you you lose the time to commit to each person, and that can be stressful because I want to give everyone, you know, that individual attention, that individual response to their question. But at some point, you just can't. And I think another thing people take for granted is this is a full-time job for me. Yeah. I yeah. work I work from 7 to 4:30 uh, every you know Monday through Friday. I come home, I have 3 hours of family time. That is what that time is for, which is, you know, the most important time of my day um to hang out with my wife and our one and a half year old. And then when the little one goes to bed, my wife and I talk for maybe 10-15 minutes. She goes to do her thing and I'm out in the shop for 4 or 5 hours every night. Monday through Sunday, Saturday and Sunday is usually longer because I'm working, you know, in the morning or when I have time. But, you know, I work about 100 hours a week and that's what it takes if you want to be successful. Most people aren't willing to put that effort in. The good thing is, is if you're willing to put it in, <laughs> it's all there for you, man. Any of that you want, 
you can have. You just got to go get it. Well, and you know, I'll tell you another thing about building community that you don't know early on and you don't realize it early on, but it becomes a blessing long term is you will never be able to serve personally a couple thousand, let alone 10,000 or 20,000 or 100,000 followers. You can't do it. It's physically impossible. But if you take the time and scale into it, a lot of the people that are those early adopters, the super fans, etc., become so versed in your information. They may not have all the answers, but they're the ones when somebody says, well, how do you do this? Or once They say, oh, he covered that, and they, they, they put a link in there for you of where you already – because after you've been doing it for a while, most of the questions you've answered, right? Yep. But, but you know, the person wants the answer, and they can't just readily find it. And all of a sudden, you have this community that's serving each other – and helping you. And that is something that has, like, this is why we can do things that Volkswagen corporate could never do, right? Yeah, this is totally. why we can do things that, are, you know, like in MySpace, a company like Emergency Essentials can never do because they can't do this because no one will trust them to do it. They can't build people. Because what corporations have are fanboys and fangirls that are just addicted to like the, 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 the thing. But they're not really community oriented, right? Like everybody everybody in the Microsoft Apple feud, they troll each other, the fanboys and fangirls. Where what you're actually doing is you're building something so organic, it has to come from a real person that people look at and go, That's a flesh and blood human being that gives a shit about me. Yep. And Bingo. corporations can't do it. They can call they themselves never- corporate personhood, but they can't really be a person. Well, they, they'll never have they'll never have that it factor. They'll never have that. I mean, you know, you, you listen to Survival Podcast, and you know, all right, I'm I'm riding it for me. It's I'm riding into work with Jack today. I wonder what he's going to talk about. I wonder what he's going to do or say that's going to piss me off. Or I wonder what we're going to agree with, you know, 100 percent on. And it, it's the show is you, and then the show is the community that you've built around it. And that's kind of how I've tried to really approach it. Is you know, I'm just saying the words or answering the questions or talking about the things I know about. The community is you guys. And when someone answers someone else's question, you know, you, you read all your comments and whatnot, and you may not be able to reply to it, but I try really hard to at least read them. Um, and you see someone else replying, you're like, oh, first of all, thank God. I don't you. have to worry about that. And thank then you're like, you. this is so awesome that yeah. someone is willing to take their time not only to listen to me, but to help someone else in the community and the bigger your community gets, you know, the more that tends to happen. And that like that's such a victory in the space that uh, that, like you said, you don't want it to all happen at once because you'll never have. Well, and I mean, another advantage that we have is, is small producers. Number one, we're fearless. Like I can tell you the number one reason that your shop shut it down. They get afraid because they can't completely control it. Right. So companies are 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 run in such a way and the word they use is fiduciary responsibility, that they're so afraid to screw up, they want control of everything. When I was in the consulting business, you know, I'd have companies come to me and they want Facebook and they want Twitter and they want YouTube, but they want to control everything. I'm like, well, you, you, that's not how that works. That's not how any of this works. So that's, that's one issue that we have that, 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 that they can't do. We can be fearless. But the other thing is people actually feel like you do listen and you do care. I've told people even before when I basically told them because they're being jackasses to piss off and they'll get mad about that and I can't believe you did this. Well, hey, at least I at least I heard you. Right? right. At least I heard you. At least I was I, I didn't have somebody that works for me respond to you with a script. I told you what I really thought. You got a genuine answer. You could hate me for it, but you know I'm honest. And that means the next 
next time I tell you something, you can know even if I've gotten it wrong, I believe what I'm saying, and I'm saying it for the right reasons, and no company in America yet that I've seen has the balls to do that. And since companies are run by groups of individuals, no one of them can stand up and actually really speak 100% on the company's behalf. No, because they're well, and if they try, they're going to get shut down anyway. They're going to be the, the groups. The, the group's not going to buy it out. Right, and to be to be, you know, and I've done some collaborations which have all been really awesome, and I've done some some sponsored videos with companies, and it's great because it pays well, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to do a little extra work because it pays really really well. But when it comes down to it, man, there is nothing that I like more than to go out in the shop, hit record on the camera. And just talk about whatever, whether it's, you know, a community chosen topic or a question show or showing people what I'm doing on my project car or teaching someone how to do something, talking about why a a part may fail. When it's just me and the camera, it's all me. And the good thing is, if I nail it, I got no one else that can take the credit. It was just me and the community. If I bomb it. Well, you know what? That's fine. I'm willing to swallow that pill, too. <laughs> it's like wrestling and, versus playing football. If you get pinned in wrestling, it's your fault. If you lose a football game, it's a team effort, you know? Right, right. And I, I would prefer that. I mean, if I screw up, which does happen uh, probably more than I want it to, uh, it's me. And I don't mind, you know, like I said, swallowing that pill. Uh, it's it's part of it, and I don't have a problem admitting it. Let's talk about your direct YouTube income. Um, how does that work out for you? Because I find it somewhat limiting. I with You know, I don't. I'm not. I don't consider myself a YouTube YouTube content producer. I'm not dedicated to that platform. I produce peripheral content as a funnel to come into my main community. Um, but I do have a lot of videos out. I've been doing them a long time. So I have, if I don't put out a new video on a standard day, five six thousand videos viewed a day. With the Google monetization adsense platform, I might make two hundred fifty bucks a month. Right. So. That's a lot of views for not that much money. So, like, what is your direct YouTube income, and and what does it really take to be successful there? So, I think for YouTube and YouTube's, it's one people. Well, don't, you don't have to give specific numbers if you don't want to. I'm just you know ballparking that. So, one thing I really took for granted, and I, honestly, I don't consider myself a YouTuber either, even though I'm probably really classified in that space. Um, is YouTube is its own community. So, treating YouTube. Any way other than that, you're not going to win the YouTube game. But you have got to have a lot of subscribers, like hundreds of thousands, and a crap ton of views on videos, like five, six, seven hundred thousand views on some of your videos, millions of views on your videos, to really, really be successful and stand alone as a YouTuber. If you don't have that, you're not. Like you're not going to retire off YouTube income unless your your numbers are are that way. Um, with me, it started. I did one video because I was mad about. Well, I did two videos, and both so much of my stuff really comes from me being mad about things, which is rather interesting. Um, one was because the tire jack, and if you've ever had to change your tire on your Volkswagen, you'll know this. The jack to change the tire on a Volkswagen they used to be terrible. They were hard to use. If you didn't use it right, it was not safe. So I'm like, people need to know how to use this right. So I shot the uh, video with my wife holding my iPhone, me screaming at it like from six feet away so you could hear hear me talking, showing how to use it. it, it in a video production uh, space, it was terrible, but it got good views. Then I had a customer come in, a uh, very nice lady come in and 
her cigarette lighter wouldn't work or her 12 volt outlet wouldn't work. And I changed her fuse and I, I held up the fuse. I'm like, here's another one in case this happens again. And she looks me dead in the eye and she's like, I have no idea what that is or what to do with it. And I'm like, I, and it just, it like stopped in my tracks because I didn't know what to say to her. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? She's like, well, I'm a single woman and I don't have anybody to do this. So I don't, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, well, you can always bring it here and I'll change this fuse a hundred times for you. I don't have any problem with that. But if you don't have anybody to help you with this, how about I show you and then you won't have to ever worry about it again. And she, she was completely, you know, uninterested in what I had to say, but I got home, Jack, I got my tripod and my iPhone and my earbuds that came with it and shot a three minute video or four minute video on how to check fuses. And I just put it up there and forgot about it. Six, seven months later, I come back and it's got like 90,000 views. I'm like, what the heck happened here? Like, is this something people need to know? I was just mad at this, that this lady didn't know and wasn't willing to learn how to do this. And so I'm like, all right, there's something here. Let's move forward and move forward. And I think my daily income back then from YouTube was like three bucks <laughs> for, to the point where Google doesn't even send you the money. Yeah. Uh, they, they wait. Yeah, and then like three months to get a hundred bucks, right? Yeah, right. Where it's like, was that even worth the time? But as I started producing more videos, um, it was like sixty bucks a month, then seventy bucks a month, then when it hit a hundred a month, I was like, ah, oh, this is cool. Uh, and then it really started to steamroll to, okay, now I can make my wife's car payment every month solely off YouTube. Now I can pay our mortgage off of YouTube, huh? Well, this is cool. Wait a minute. Now I can pay both the car payment and the mortgage off of YouTube? Okay. And that's kind of where we're at now where uh, minus like my cell phone bill, our bills are paid on YouTube. That's that's incredible. And I think part of what people don't understand and like the patience you have to have with this is you're building a portfolio, right? Because every video becomes timeless. Now, when, I don't know about you, when I put out videos, they have a big peak in traffic, and then they trickle for, for a very, very long time. I have videos I put out, you know, seven years ago that are still getting views every day, but they're getting a few here and there. But that quantity of that trickle is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you're a dedicated producer just putting out a video a day, and you got to look at it like, imagine if we put $100 a month into a retirement account. And at the end of our first year, we're pissed off because, oh, well, I only made uh, 75 bucks in interest. And, and some of that money's only been in the, in the account for like 30 days at that point. But as you compound that over time, it builds. And there's a residual effect where it wouldn't be good for you right now to stop producing videos. But if you took three weeks off, there's still money coming in. Absolutely. And there's Absolutely. no job like that. You might have vacation time, but let's be honest, that's just part of your salary. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, you know, they, they each become their own standalone legacy video. And I think I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day where, you know, the videos that I did three years ago are still making me money. And as you compound and compound and compound, you know, you went from five videos to 10, 50 to 100. And I think we're, we, I'm very close to 400 videos at this point in time, um, you know, of, of varied topics and varied you know, subject matter, and they're all still bringing money in. And it's I'm not doing any more work for them. I had to work my brains out to do them initially, 
but now those are those are doing their thing and i'm focused on producing content and, and cool videos for the future so it's it's a cool way to have a piece of your income be things that you know you worked really hard and now they're on autopilot doing their own thing yeah definitely so what are some of your other uh revenue streams because i'm sure you don't just limit that to to youtube no you, like i said you got to be big time for for, for youtube um the show has a couple of sponsors, which is cool. Um, one re-upped for another year, which I'm really, really happy about. And uh, we've also been able to do some events with, with that sponsor and, and cool stuff with that. Uh, I've done some written articles. Somehow someone wanted me to write an article for them. Uh, it was it was tough. It was it was a challenge for me, but that's another piece of the, the income stream. I've, uh, like I mentioned, done paid videos for companies i've done a few videos with Allstate, which is uh it's frustrating because it takes so long to get it approved but the pay is really good and it's cool to say hey man i've done some paid videos with Allstate insurance company um which to to be fair does pay for not directly it's it's an indirect income but it does pay for my Allstate car and home insurance every year which is awesome and uh the last little bit i've added and this isn't directly content production related but due to the content production a company reached out to me and they're like hey charles do you want to teach classes about fixing cars and i'm like well uh i don't really understand what you're asking me to do so they flew me out to california and i sat in on a class and the, the class was awesome and i'm i i could totally see myself you know, standing up up in front of the classroom and, and teaching these guys and then going out in the shop and showing them how to diagnose cars and work on certain systems of vehicles. And that has kind of been like the final puzzle piece to what's a pretty diverse income stream to uh, to really make me wonder if if it's about time to make that final to, to do the Patrick Rohrman, uh, who's basically my hero and uh, and make that final step into uh into doing my own thing full time yeah i mean it's it's a scary thing and i think that like one of the big things people have to realize is you can have a really good income from your own personal activities and walking away from work is not necessarily as easy as people would think you can be making more money from your offline activities than your job and it's still a scary step because this is what happens so your job goes away so your benefits go away Yep. Well, now I got to take care of my own benefits. And then the other thing that happens is, you know, there's this magical thing that happens every week when they suck that tax money out of your pocket. Your employer matches your SSI. So your SSI is 7%, and it's really 14%, but you don't know that. I'm rounding numbers here. But all of a sudden, your tax burden goes up. And if you're making good money on and offline, odds are you've done what's called blown the cap on your SSI if you combine the two incomes. So you your your offline income maybe not even be subject to SSI anymore, or only a part of it because your employers helped you cover the match up to the cap. Well, all of a sudden that's not the case, and now all that money's so there's all these things that you have to think about when you take that leap. But the the turnaround is now I can put six, eight, ten hours a day into this and this only. And you can build it much more rapidly and much more effectively. But it's never easy. And I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I would always give people is you have to, like, when you're ready to do that, 
you just take all of the money that you're making from work for like a couple months and you shove it in a box and you live like the only money you have is from your business or the other way around. You shove all the business money in a box and you live off only the work money so that you get into a rhythm where you're not living off those combined incomes. Exactly. That's your ass. Well, and you get you get sort of delusional. I think at least for me, there's been times where I've caught myself like when I get one of those sponsor checks, I'm like, dude, I don't have to work the rest of the month. This is great. And like, hold on, Charles, let's <laughs> let's time out here and and go back to reality. You you did this, but this isn't all of it. There's so much more. And I think you you can't just consider your income. There's there's what does your spouse think about this? You know, how about your kid? You have a family to provide insurance for. That ain't cheap. So there's so many more factors that play into it. And I think what makes it really hard for me anyway is that I really like my job. It's not like I have a job I hate. Yeah. And I yeah. hate going there every day. And I, I like my job. I like where I work. I like the people I work with. I like what I do. I think that, you know, doing my own thing full time will be cool, but there's there's a safety here there's all kinds of things i don't have to worry about that introducing you know myself to the full-time entrepreneur world uh would would give me well and you also have a a, a group brain think you're always getting new information you're always getting new content you you have a rich development environment like this is what people don't understand like I've told my story where when I left sales and went into marketing, I went from making a, a very significant six-figure income to forty-five grand a year in a day. And people were like, why would you do that? And I was like, because I was a decent marketer, but I wanted to become a great marketer. And the only way to do that was to surround myself with other marketers. They didn't even necessarily have to be better than me. They just had to know stuff I didn't so I could amalgamate all of their knowledge. So you are very specific in your content, not completely, but in many ways to your job. Right. So part of that is you're going to have to figure out how they have that that mastermind think without that job if you're going to take that step. And so much of my content is a you know indirect product of what my job is. That I mean that's that's can be scary. That yeah. can be really scary. So if you if any of you guys out there are thinking about doing you know a video show or a podcast or a blog or whatever. Be careful with your topic because it one you know the the negative of having it so close to your job is that there can be a conflict of interest very quickly and my job's cool about it but a lot of places aren't going to be cool you know if you're revealing company secrets you know air quotes revealing company yeah. secrets or talking about things that they may not want you How to talk to about. Jacked around by the mechanic shop, right? You know, right. Like that. And I mean, I don't have anything to hide in this space. I think people need to hear this kind of stuff. Yeah. And there, there's, boy, there's, everybody's got a bad mechanic story, right? Um, yeah, but, like my son uh, coming to me one day and going, I can't afford to get the brakes done on my car. And he had a car that was worth about $2,500, and they wanted to do like an $1,800 brake job on it. Turn every rotor, all this stuff and all, because the brakes were squealing. I get on the phone with the guy. I'm like, did metal touch metal? He's like, no. I'm like, how much is a basic brake service? He's like, 120 bucks. I'm like, do that. Yep. And he's like, I can't guarantee. I'm like, just stop. Just stop. I was a mechanic in the Army for years. I don't want to hear this. This is like a $2,000 $2, car. The kid's going to drive for like another year. If it's safe, I don't give a shit. Put the brakes on it. And you should be responsible <laughs> enough to know that. Right. And my son's like, how do you – How do you? I'm like, you just don't take shit from people. But like – Seeing somebody do that or having somebody explain that to you, I'm not going to get into the things that you and I both know about why that was okay, but if you don't know that, then you don't know to push back on that, and people are out 
you know, whipping out a credit card to do more work on a car than the car's work worth, right? And my, I mean, my rule with a car is if I'm going to do repair work on a car and the car is not worth, you know, more because of that, like, let's say the car's worth two grand a day and I put $1,500 into it. I better be able to sell that car for $3,500 or I'm selling that car for $2,000 and going out and figuring out how to buy a $3,500 car that's worth $3,500. Yeah, people really do get intimidated by getting their car serviced and, you know, the, the lingo that we have in the automotive world can be intimidating. And I hear it all the time and it's so frustrating to me. People say, I don't know anything about cars. Okay, first of all, you're spending a crap ton of money to own something that you know nothing about yeah. which is foolish. Second of all, listen to what the words are. You know what an air filter is, yeah. right? It filters air. You know what tires are. You know what wiper blades are. You know what bulbs are. You know things about cars. Don't be scared. And, you know, my, like, universal getting your car serviced advice is always ask them to show you what the problem is. Yeah. And that's going to eliminate... 90% of anybody trying to scam you. Yeah. Have them show you what's wrong. And if they won't, roll it on out and go somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. So before we dig in a little, I want to talk a little bit about that, but let's, let's talk about some more stuff with the business end. If you started today, knowing what you know now, what would you do maybe differently? Uh, well, I wouldn't be scared knowing what I know now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I would definitely jump way, way in head first right into YouTube. Um, I would make shorter, more consistent, more concise videos on one topic, cover it very deep, no more than seven or eight minutes. And I would probably take like two weeks off of work and try and get 25 videos done. So I was always ahead. So I always had something in the hopper. So I always had the next one ready to go. Uh, I would, I would get a good computer. I wouldn't try and get by because the frustration level of that is, is awful. Uh, I started on a really crappy laptop with free video editing software that would take like six hours to render a video. Uh, I bought a desktop, spent 50 bucks on editing software, which was much faster, but would crash about every third video I edited. Um, finally I MacBook pro got final cut. And once I learned that other than last night, it being really fussy has been almost perfect. Uh, remember that I would know that in video, your video quality is important, but your audio quality is way more important. Yeah. And you need a way to monitor your audio. I've probably had to reshoot 30 videos because my mic died or because I was an idiot and didn't plug it in or I didn't turn it on or, you know, fill in whatever other nonsense that could happen when you're trying to record a video. And just like having the conversation with someone we were talking about earlier, you don't have anybody there monitoring it with headphones or telling you, hey, dummy, your mic died four minutes ago. Uh, you find out when you're editing. And that's incredibly frustrating. Um, I would probably also focus more on keywords and titles and get better right away at writing titles and, and making them interesting and compelling and also getting the point of the video across. And I, I would think maybe you would agree with adding this to it. No matter what you're doing, 
have some sort of backup power failure source. So if it's a camera that's running on batteries, have it plugged in if it's, if it's all possible so the battery doesn't die. If you're a podcaster like I am, you need a UPS. I, I don't care if you're broke and you go out and buy the crappiest $50 UPS there is. At least it gives you a couple seconds to hit the save button or render out an audio file or something like that. I had that happen in the beginning. And I'm here, I'm the prepper guy, but I had a laptop, so I've got it plugged in, right? And I'm doing my podcast on a laptop. So that's, that's all good and well. It won't die because it's got a battery. Well, I noticed that the cord wasn't actually charging <laughs> it. And I'm 45 minutes into a one-hour show. And, <sighs> and that happens once. And you're like, never no more. <laughs> yeah, if you don't end up punching a hole through your laptop screen, um, I did that once. Yeah, I've, I've done that before. Too. <laughs> Very similar reasons, but anything can happen. You know, at one point, I was my wife was going to try and help me edit these videos, so we're we're going through a video, we're editing it, and she turns the chair and bumps the computer, and the memory card falls out, and we lost the video. We lost the the work we had done. Thankfully, the video was still on the card. So, I mean, your dog could. You know, chew the cord. Who knows? Who have, have some kind of backup for for all of it? Now I run two cameras. I generally don't edit with both clips, but if something happens, I have some kind of backup. And again, if I'd rather have the video with okay video and audio than have not to completely have redo it or not have it at all. Yeah, I mean, right now we're talking. I've got uh, my PC running. I've got Skype that we're connected with, and I've got Aztec Skype recorder recording the call. Next to me, I have my Mac. I have an Apogee mic. It's sitting right in front of the speaker from the PC, and it's in front of me. So, it's, so my secondary recording over on the Mac side is not the same quality. But if when we click hang up, some weird crap happens with Aztec, like it's happened like twice in my life, this won't go away, and we won't be stuck redoing it. Yeah. You got to have redundancy. I mean, I know this is the prepper show and all, but uh, it's amazing people put all these redundancies in place and then they do something like business and that's where they don't have redundancies. Yeah, and if for nothing else, even if nothing ever goes wrong, you have that little bit extra confidence that all right, I don't have to worry about this part of it. Let me focus on getting my message out there and what I want to say, or teaching this lesson, or showing folks this one thing. I don't have to worry about did the camera die. You know, one of my cameras, um, it's a Canon T3i, which is a camera I started with, and I actually still use whenever it's me talking to just the camera sitting in the studio. It's that camera because the video quality is a little bit better. It took me four months to realize that after 12 or so minutes, it stops recording. And that wasn't a fluke with the camera. That's just how it's built. It'll only record so much video. Mm. And I'd be, you know, rambling on and then I'd look at the screen and go, it says movie has stopped recording. I'm like, uh, I wonder how long ago that happened. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. And I think the other thing is once you set redundancies up, you stop freaking out and worrying about whether or not it's working. So then you can focus on actually producing the content. You're not constantly like, oh, is it working? Because you know, okay, if it fails, I'm still good. And then you can relax and actually put your passion where it belongs, making content versus being passionate about not having your stuff screw up. <laughs> I've been there so many times. <laughs> so what are your, some, some of your keys to success on YouTube? Uh, just short videos. I think eight minutes define is kind of like... Okay, I was going to say define so short. Eight minutes is kind of like you're teetering on too much. Um, one topic is best. Good audio 
good keywords, you know, good title, good description, all the, the normal stuff that is, is important with title and description. Um, and then just make short to the point, no BS, no fluff, just say what you got to say and, and that's it and be done. Don't, you don't need to drag it out just to fill eight minutes. If what you have to say takes four minutes, or it's two. a four minute video, two minutes, two minute video. You know, some of my, uh, so I'll do a question show and then I also, because I want to answer more questions, uh, but I also don't want to do like the whole production of making a show. I'll just hit my iPhone, put it uh, on the front facing camera and answer one question. And that four minute video generally gets as many views as the video where I answer four or five questions. So I'm putting, you know, call it three hours into making a Q&A show I'm putting literally the amount of time that it takes to shoot the video into making this other video and it gets as many views. So it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be drawn out. Just say what you got to say and that's it. Well, I think people have to understand the context of why people are on YouTube. Sometimes people on YouTube are for entertainment education uh, long term, right? But most people use video, YouTube videos this way. Damn it, I thought I knew how to put this handgun back together because I put together 20 different handguns and now I can't figure out where the spring goes. And when they Google that and end up on YouTube to see it, they don't want to hear what the trigger pull is, right? They don't want to hear what the muzzle velocity was. They want to know how the hell do I get this expensive gun that I took apart back together? Or how do I get this spark plug out when I stripped it? Or whatever right. it is. They want an answer to that question and when they get that answer quickly, they say, okay, this guy kicks ass. I need to stay up with this guy because he has the answers. Where if, you know, you, all you wanted is this one answer, and this guy is like, and I've been there when I'm like, the, the, as I'm talking about the final cut thing. I want a full education, but like when I'm just like, I don't know, we went on hold there for some reason, Charles. Yeah, yeah sorry, my phone rang. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of the uh, negatives of rolling mobile. <laughs> no, that's all right. So anyway, you know, like, um, it, 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 what was I saying? Um, <laughs> we were talking about Final Cut. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying to, to figure that, that. How do I get this one thing in the timeline? And I'm sitting there, and this guy's on and on, and I'm like, just tell me how to do it. <laughs> you know? And I mean, there, there's a difference between that and like radio type content, where somebody's just like driving down the road listening to you. So you have to address your audience, no matter what you're doing, in the way they want to be addressed. Absolutely. And I will say, if you if you want that long show, but there's one bit in that show where you're like, this is like the zinger of the show. Put a timestamp in the description so that people can click right to it and only watch that point. Or that's a little out and make it a standalone. Done that a ton of times too. Either or both, you know, either one of those is a great way to give people what they're coming for and then let them go about their day. And the cool thing is, is the audience will tell you what they want. Charles, yeah. this video is too long. I don't want to sit through a 25-minute video. Okay, cut it to 12. This is cool. And Charles, let me give the, some feedback for the people out there that think they're helping when they're not. Saying what Charles just said is helping. Saying, you're so stupid, why can't you just say it? You know what that results in? Your ass getting banned from the producer's <laughs> channel. People like us, we do not have time for bullshit. We don't. We're out there trying to help people. And as we pointed out today, eventually we can make a decent income with it. But you work your ass off for a year or more before any of this stuff starts to pay for itself. And the amount of effort it takes to do this, it, to people that don't do it, is is immense. And dealing with ass clowns like that, I don't know about you, I used to tell them off, and now I just freaking delete, banned, gone. I do not have time for your shit. Yeah, it's there, there's so many more people that want your time that you want to give your time to that dealing with that's 
not even every once in a while I'll be like in a mood and I'll fire back a, a, a snarky comment or something yeah. like that. And but most of the time it's just not worth it. But no. you're just giving them what they want anyway. Never ignore it or ban it. Here's my piece of advice to you: never argue with an idiot. He will drag you down to his level and then beat you with experience. <laughs> yeah, you're. You, he's well more qualified for that uh, yeah. than, than hopefully than than you are. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's that's really good advice. How do you manage your time with your family and a full time job like this? Because I remember it was a challenge for me. Right? It's it hard, big man. challenge. It's hard. And this year, you know, uh, so my daughter was born in March of last year. Uh, which is awesome. It's the best thing ever, right? But my wife and I had a conversation because I had already started the show before she was born, and we were talking about it last year. And she's like, look, this this year being 2016 is going to be a big year for you. So we sat down, we had a long conversation, and we both agreed that 16 is going to be the 100% full throttle year. We're going to go for it. Whatever the going for it is, we're going to do it. So I think since April, I've probably been home without company at our house three weekends. Um, I mean, it's literally all the time. So I have committed Monday through Friday from the minute I get home until the little one goes to bed, which is, you know, seven, eight o'clock, whatever. That's their time. No phone, no email, no calls. That's their time because they deserve my time more than anybody else on the planet does. And I'm going to give that to them first. It's when they go to bed, it's game time. And I don't have time to play around or, you know, I like playing video games. I'd love to be on this Pokemon Go craze. (laughs) It seems like it's probably a good time, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to get this done. I'm here to give people that are taking their valuable time and giving it to me in the form of watching a video or reading a blog post or commenting on a Facebook post. I want to give them what they want. Let me say That's something real quick, though, about the Pokemon Go thing. A lot of people are bashing that, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to play it. It's not my thing, but you know all that it really is, and it's funny because I think a lot of people bashing it probably have done the other activity. It's virtual geocaching. Yeah, it That's really all is. That's all that it is. It really is, and you know what? Uh, who are we to say that something a family's doing together is stupid? I mean, who cares what I think about it? If it's what your family's into, man, rock and roll and do it. Because if you're hanging out together, that's a victory for the family in my book, no matter There's what. There's people out there that think you're stupid or I'm stupid when we're out making a fire with friction when you could just flick a bick. Yeah. Everything is not everybody's cup of tea, and that that's awesome because without that, you and I wouldn't have shit to do. We wouldn't right. have businesses, right? Because I'm at a point in my life, even as a prior professional mechanic, when my shit breaks, I take it to a shop and get it fixed, right? <laughs> but some people like to do all of this stuff, or some people want to learn how to do it. So I'm not going to be like spending a lot of my time researching how to work on my, my car, but yet I'll still use something like yours because there's been things that like have gone wrong with my vehicle that like the, the shop doesn't even know what's wrong. Uh, yep. And... You know, then you find information. You can go in and say, "Well, check this," and I'll check that. Well, that's the way it is. So everybody picks and chooses, and that is the internet. That is the digital age. the The concept of going through a textbook um, because something's not in the index file is done. It's over, and that's opportunity for people like us. Yeah, searching through a, a vehicle's owner's manual is a good example of that because I hate digging through owner's manuals, and the whole time I'm like, "Why can't I just type this in and search?" 
just like I can on a PDF. Wouldn't that be easier? But no, I got to go to the back and find the word. And hopefully I call the word, you know, the part, the same thing the, the manufacturer does and flip all the way to the front page. Oh, it's on the wrong page. So, uh, side note, incredibly frustrating with dealing with owner's books, but, uh, manufacturers make them PDFs. It'll be easier. Yeah. Searchable PDFs, not picture PDFs. And <laughs> so like, and there's like, there's a case for experience, especially in mechanics. So, like when I was in the army, I had this buddy named Brad. This guy hurt himself all the time. He was also a very procedural guy. Like when you work on a vehicle in the army, you always take the manual and stick it on the on the on the top of the truck or on the fender. Or in the, so because if, if somebody comes like like the motor officer comes out and you don't have the manual, they give you shit even if you've done it a hundred times. But that doesn't mean you necessarily use it, right? Uh, and I have to say, military manuals are much better as manuals for vehicles than the most of the automotive manufacturers have. But there's still a manual. So my buddy, who just can't everything outside the box, has like a steering column ripped apart and all, and he's the uh, Humvee. And I'm, I go over and I go, "What the hell are you doing?" He goes, "The horn doesn't work, so I'm following the troubleshooting sequence." Okay, <laughs> so there's this little dust cover on the back side of the steering column that this electric wire plugs into. So I yank it off, look in it, I blow in it, and I blow on both sides of it and fiddle around with it and plug it back in and he's got it all apart but it's still connected I'm like beep beep he's like how did you know that I'm like because I've seen it before and that is so valuable because people that are doing their DIY stuff on a vehicle they generally don't have a lot of time to spend screwing around with a manual so being able to use technology to access someone like you and find where you already covered that that's valuable and that's that creates value for value exchange, and now you have a business. And even if what they have going on isn't what maybe I'm talking about in that particular time, if it's a four-minute check that they can do and, and check something off the list that's not wrong with their car, yeah. that's one less thing that can be wrong with their car. So it's uh, it's cool to be able to help people out in, in that space and you know give them some guidance. Even if I'm, I don't know what's wrong with it, I can usually at least give them a a place to go, like check this, or you know, I've seen other cars do this. It's worth the four-minute time investment to look at yours and see if that's what's going on. What are some of your ideas on how people can save money on their car repairs? Because it can get very expensive very fast. Well, the DIY is is the best way, right? For some people, <laughs> for a lot of people, doing it yourself. Look at the labor really side of your repair bill, and you see it real quick, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, labor rate around here is 135 an hour give or take, uh, it's high. And back years ago, 10, 12 years ago, when I worked at CarMax, gosh, it's probably been longer than that, 17 years ago, talking about the old guy again. Um, when I worked at CarMax, I think then our labor rate was like 130 an hour. So labor rates are insane. Um, like I mentioned earlier, always ask them to show you what's going on. If they say, hey, your air filter is dirty, have them walk you back to the shop. And look at it. Yeah. I mean, drop it on the ground. Is a gallon of dust coming out of it? All right. You know, it's probably worth putting an air filter in. Is it look brand new? Don't do it. Never be afraid to say no yeah. to a repair facility. Now, if your car has a flat tire, that's an easy one. You need to get a tire or yeah. put a put a used tire on or put the spare on, yeah. whatever. But don't don't be intimidated. Don't be scared. Ask them to show you what's going on. Learn to do things yourself. Easy things like light bulbs, air filters are a really easy one to do. Very Put your own wiper blades on, uh, that kind of little stuff. Things that, you know, because frankly, the stuff like that, 
that's where I make most of my money. I make most of my money, you know, on, on time that it takes versus time that I get paid on things like air filters and pollen filters and fuel filters. Why wouldn't your shop want you to, you know, I mean, anyway, but like seriously, like, so, and also like learning to be smart. So if you have a Sam's Club membership and you buy windshield wipers and you don't want to do it, you can walk in, pay for the windshield wipers, and when you shop, they'll go out to your car and do it for you. Now, we don't use that because we don't have Sam's anymore because we moved back from Arkansas. I immediately went back to Costco. But, like, just knowing that is kind of cool because I couldn't believe the guy's like, yeah, what do you drive? I'm like, so I tell him, I'm like, do you need my keys? He's like, oh, it's windshield wipers. I don't need your keys because I, I wasn't going to give them the keys. Right. Come out, windshield wipers, they threw the old ones away and everything. <laughs> you didn't have to throw the trash away. It's a five-minute <laughs> job. I could do it, but... You know, I got an F three fifty. I got to get something to stand on to reach up there and all. It's, it's good, you know. So I mean, that that kind of thing. Like, if you know that some sometimes, I think I don't know anymore because I don't buy batteries from Sears because I believe a die hard dies hard when it dies hard. Um, but I remember back in the day when you, if you bought a die hard from Sears, they'd put it in for free. There are still some places that'll do that. That's you know, and that's kind of the other side of it though. There are areas where. You don't want to mess around trying to do it yourself. Uh, a lot of, especially European manufacturers, are moving to vehicle batteries having to be coded and programmed to the vehicle. Yeah. So you can install it yourself till the cows come home, but your car ain't going to be happy about it. It's It needs to be hooked up to the computer and you know ran through a whole series of, of programming in order for that battery to work. So you need to know when you can easily do something yourself putting an air filter in. Yeah. You need to know when this is worth paying, you know, 40, 50, 100 bucks because you don't have the equipment to do it. You can't buy the equipment to do it for $100. Pay the 100 bucks and go about your day. It's not going to be worth fiddling around for, you know, two weekends watching YouTube videos trying to figure out why your car won't do this one thing when you can pay somebody 30 bucks at the dealership to just get it done for you. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, also use that supercomputer in your pocket, right, your smartphone. So I was, I remember I was sitting one day, like, you talk about waiting. So I, I had an oil change done on my F-350. That's something I'm not doing myself. Just the amount of – it's not like a regular car. It's like three and three-quarter gallons of oil that comes out of there that I have to deal with, right? So just them getting rid of the oil is fine. They come out and go, you need a new air cleaner, and they brought it out, to be fair. And it was it was dirty enough. You probably should do it, but it wasn't that bad. But I would have probably said, like, how much do you want for it? And I don't remember what it was, but, like, they're sitting there, and I'm Googling, like, O'Reilly, right? And I'm like, yeah, just put it back in. They're like, it really needs to be replaced. I'm like, yeah, I'll go buy a filter for 14 bucks and do it myself. There's also apps, uh, one app that I use to sort of check, kind of as a check for some of the things that we do is called Repair, Repair Pal. Uh, yeah. yeah, Repair Pal. And that, it's not going to tell you it's going to be this dollar amount, but it gives you a range. Sanity check. Exactly. If they're saying it's going to be three grand to do this job and you jump on Repair Pal and it's $45, I mean, that's a really extreme example, but okay, maybe it's time to get my car the hell out of there. If they say it's going to be three grand and it's twenty nine hundred on Repair Pal, all right, we're in the ballpark. This this is yeah. reasonable because yeah. there's so many factors that can play into why this is a hundred dollars more than this you know generic estimating tool tool says it should be. What, what do you think some of the best tools are for the DIY person? Um, I so coming from someone that is probably a little bit of a tool snob, uh, and I have a lot of tools. You know how how many tools you end up with fixing cars and, and trucks and whatnot. Uh, man, 
the Harbor Freights, the Northern Tools, the Home Depots, the Lowe's, those tools are pretty much fine for most people doing most jobs. It's not the newest, greatest snap-on ratchet or socket set. It's not that, and it's never going to be that. But they're lifetime warranty. You need one replaced. You run over to Home Depot and get it replaced. For someone that's going to use them on the weekend or once a month, that kind of stuff is 100% perfect. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I think the other thing to look at is like, so if you buy a socket set, there's about four sockets in that set that you're going to use frequently, and the rest of them are for when that oddball thing comes up. So if one of them fails, it's going to be like one of those four, right? I mean, if it's if it's standard, you know, it's it's seven sixteenths, it's half inch, it's nine sixteenths, it's five eighths. Those those are like eighty percent of the time you're going to be reaching for that stuff, right? So. It's not that big a deal if you if you crack a 916 socket or something. Even if you had to buy it, you just buy one socket. I buy 10 millimeter and 13 millimeter there usually you go. four at a time yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they either break or what really happens more often than anything is I lose them. They go down in the abyss of the engine compartment, never to be seen again. Yeah. And you just say, all right, that was three bucks down the drain. Let me grab another one, still with the you know the little hang tag on it. For and, me, I'm not a mechanic uh, anymore. But number two. DeWalt driver, screwdriver tips, right? If I'm at Home Depot <laughs> or Lowe's and they have like five packs in the $1.99 bin, I buy like four of those. Yeah. And yeah, I, just, you I mean, put one in every, one pack in every drawer and yeah. you're, you're never too far away from one. Because 80% of the time, if you're driving something with a drill or a driver, it's a number two Phillips. Yep. Or a number two Phillips will make it go in or out. Right? It might have been, yeah, right. But, but it'll get it done, you know? I mean, I think there's a, lo a lot to be said for that. And I think like, To me, it's also like you need to evaluate do you need, really need a tool or not. So one thing I – Well, Jack, hold on, hold on. Yes, you really do need that tool. Let's not get out of the ballpark here. We need to buy that tool to do that job. Correct, right? <laughs> so like my, my other side of this thing is like when I – one thing I always did do for myself, especially in my cars, my – again, my F-350, it's such a pain in the ass. Everything's big. Everything's heavy. Everything's hard. You know, I'll, I'll let somebody else do that. But, like, my cars and smaller SUVs and stuff, I always do my own brakes. Because if there's a place where they screw you and tell you you need shit you don't need, in my experience, it's been brakes. And you can do brakes, like, drinking a beer, if you've done it before, pretty quick. So the first time I ever did brakes on my Jetta, you know where I'm going right now. Yep. I get the freaking cow, uh, the C clamp out, and I'm trying to push the freaking uh, plunger <laughs> back. And I do, like, the back ones, and I just go in. And I get to, like, I think it's the passenger side, front, and the freaking uh, – so anybody doesn't know, disc brakes have basically a caliper that extends out and compresses the brakes. And you – when as your brakes wear down, they adjust outward. So to put the new pads on, you have to push that caliper back in, and people do it with channel locks. They do it with a special tool. They do it with a C-clamp. And I've always just done it with a C-clamp. It works really well. You turn a shoe around, and – And it goes. And, I'm, and it won't go in. I'm mad as shit. I know I don't have a frozen caliper because I would have had a different problem. I go in, YouTube. Might have been you for all the help. This is for you, right? So I see that you need this little square piece of yep. crap tool, and that one caliper has to actually be turned in. Yep. So I call O'Reilly, and first I'm like, why the hell? You knew what I was buying, and they didn't know. You know? But like, oh, yeah, when they look it up in their little computer, they have that. I'm like, well, how much are they? He's like 25 bucks. And I go, well, I guess I need one. He goes, you can rent it for $1.99. And I'm thinking, how many times am I going to change the brakes on my Jetta? 
once, twice, maybe. Yeah, so I rented the tool for a buck ninety nine, and I knew if I ever needed to do it again to get that tool. Why would I buy it? that tool? Doesn't do anything else that I know of for any other vehicle or any other job in the world. Nope, that is purely a special tool to press in rear calipers. On on most cars have the the twist in rear calipers, but that's all that tool does. It will never do anything else for you. And uh, uh, to to you know, for me, it makes sense, right? I need one. Yeah. I need one that works well, works sure, fast, and it's not going to fail, week, right? Yeah, but if you're using it once every three years, you don't need the tool. If you're like me and want to justify buying the tool, well, that's a whole different thing. You know, if you want to buy it, but I will you do not need it. Two tools because they looked cool in my toolbox. I will admit <laughs> to that. But in general, like, and I was at the point too. I had like a hundred and twenty thousand miles on that car. I'm like, it's. This is probably going to take care of it until I don't drive it anymore. So right, yeah. So yeah. we'll just get the square, rent the square. Yeah, most of the auto parts stores will rent you a lot of different tools. You know, if hub presses and big, bigger stuff like that that even I don't buy because just like you using the brake tool, I'm going to use it every year. Maybe yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to spend seven hundred dollars on a tool that doesn't do anything but that one thing to use once a year. That just makes no sense, financial sense for me to do. Do you, Even as a professional, do you think it makes sense for the person that wants to be a DIYer to look at older vehicles at this point to have like that project vehicle that doesn't have all these new space age bullshit built into it? Absolutely. I mean, you you can't understand. Well, I shouldn't say you can't understand. It's really hard to understand the new technology if you don't sort of understand the origin of it. So, brake actual mechanical brakes have not changed a whole lot since disc brakes came out. Sure, they're different, and we have electronic parking brakes now. They are different, but the nuts and bolts of it are very much the same. So spend two bucks and go to the junkyard and take a caliper off and see what it's like. Do it on a car that you don't care about. I mean, nothing's going to happen if you don't put that together right. If you don't put your own car together right, uh, you're going to be in for a bad time potentially. So go to the junkyard, buy Buy an alternator at the junkyard for six bucks or ten bucks. Bring it home and take it apart. See how it works. Look yeah. at that one compared to your car, and start to develop the mindset of looking at something, looking where the bolts are, looking what tool it's going to take to remove the part. Okay, now once you got the part, the bolts out of the part, how is it going to come out? Are you going to have to raise the engine up? Are you going to have to take the cooling fans out? Or is there plenty of room and you just plock it right out of the engine compartment and set it on the bench? And as you look at these things, instead of being intimidated by opening the hood and having all these engine covers over everything and everything's hidden and you only see the washer fluid fill cap, the oil cap, and the, the coolant cap, look at it. Look at where the bolts are. Look at where the parts are. If you don't know what something is, Google it. Hop on Google. What is this part here? Go to a forum. What does this thing do? What does an alternator do? How does it work? What does an AC compressor do? How does it work? Things like that will help you understand these little bits of your car. And you may never, may never DIY anything. You may never be a professional mechanic. But there's going to be a point where you're going to go in and they're going to say, hey, you need an alternator because of this. And you know how an alternator works. And you know, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. No sense at all. Are you sure that's what it is? And then go get a second opinion because yeah. maybe they are wrong. I mean, let's let's be honest. I get it wrong sometimes. I'm not right 100% of the time. Uh, so I, it, it happens right to all of about us. about as often as a doctor is. <laughs> I think mine is actually maybe a little better than that. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, you, you, you know, you can get it wrong and, and it happens to everybody. So don't hesitate to yeah. get a second opinion either. So I got one for you before you go here, man. Uh, I know you're at work, so you got to get back, but real quick, uh, a problem I have, I have an O five, uh, diesel F three fifty. The diesel part doesn't matter, but I know when I take it in, they're going to say, we need our master diesel tech, even though this problem has none to do with being a diesel. Um, occasionally the air conditioner has, you know, it's a, it's an O five, so it's mechanical. It goes to basically like defroster mode. And what I mean by that is it doesn't actually stop, the air conditioner doesn't stop working. The, 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 whatever underneath the dash actually flips and determines where the air comes out. Yep. Flips and it gets stuck. Uh, I have no idea how to get into that. And I'm thinking you gotta rip the whole dashboard apart to get to it. Um, and I'm gonna get eaten up in labor to make something that flips around not flip around when it's not supposed to anymore. Any idea what I can do with that, or do I gotta bite the bullet? Because I'm not tearing the dash apart today. Oh God, no! That's one of those that even I'm like, if it came down to my car, I'd either deal with it or oh, really consider dope. having someone else do it. That and oil changes. Don't like doing oil changes yeah. either. But so actually, it's funny that you asked this question because I got almost the exact question from somebody maybe three or four days a week ago. Uh, and I, I didn't know the answer to his question, but this is kind of the advice that I'd give, given him. If it's the cable driven kind, which means when you turn the dial, it's not a motor that operates the door. It's a yeah. cable that operates the door. Have someone rotate the, the, the blend door dial and stick your head underneath there and see if you can find the door or the cable that's moving when they do that. Uh, sometimes the, the piece that holds the that attaches the door to the cable will drop down a little bit and you'll see it as you move the dial it'll get kind of wiggly and weird uh and it'll sometimes allow the door to kind of pop out of place and then it'll you know swing down or flip open i think their concern was like hot and cold it would change temperatures when they turned the corner yeah Uh, but it's the same thing get get someone to operate the dial and stick your head under there and try and find the location of it because it may turn out that you pop the glove box out and you're right there and you may not have to remove the entire dash, but uh, you can at least put your eyeballs hopefully on the area of the problem. Yeah. And then kind of use, you know, some some reasoning to figure out maybe what's going on or maybe the cable's fallen out where it'll still move when you turn the dial. But you'll you'll see a cable hanging down and go, yeah. oh, this is out of its retainer. Mine Click is, it back in and you're good to Mine go. is purely the, the directional vent that determines which which holes that the air comes out of. Air conditioner works fine. It's cold as shit. It's just blown out of the defroster instead of on me where it belongs. And <laughs> you just need a, one of those little ducks, duck uh, uh, guides that people put on floor vents and just shoot it back up into your face. Yeah, I, so here's my, 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 my two pieces of advice if you're dealing with this before you actually get it fixed. Number one, if you drive over really bumpy shit, sometimes it flops back open. And number two, resist the urge to turn up to like the top highest speed of the blower that's when it seems to create some kind of vacuum action and over it goes. You're like, shit. And it, it might take a day. It might take five minutes before it'll do, go back to the way it's supposed to be. And then here's the other side. Whenever I decide, okay, I'm taking it in, it stops. So then you're going to take it in. It's not doing it. And they look at you like you're just nuts. Yeah, yeah. That happens so often. And you can tell, like, some people are kind of jerks about it or whatever. But most people are embarrassed because – they're like, I swear my car was acting up. I'm it like, I, I believe you. Yeah. I believe you. I don't think you're nuts any more than most of the rest of us Volkswagen drivers are nuts, um, my, myself obviously included. So just 
when you get it to do it, come on by and we'll take a look yeah. at it for you. Yeah. So anyway, man, how can people learn more about you? See your videos, get to your site, all that stuff. So best thing would be is to go to humblemechanic.com and uh, you can link out to all the cool stuff from there. You can also head over to YouTube and type in Humble Mechanic, obviously, and you'll find me and uh, find me pretty much everywhere else on uh, the social media spaces uh, under that name. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate you being with us today, Charles, and keep on kicking ass. And uh, I know it's a big, scary step to take that final leap and go 100% on your own, but uh, I'll tell you what, when you're ready to do it, I'm going to be rooting for you, and I'm going to be happy for you. Well, Jack, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me. TSP community, you guys are awesome. If any of you are even even thinking about doing your own thing, something like this, go for it. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's so, so worth it. Uh, I've had some really amazing, cool opportunities uh, since taking this journey, and uh, I want to see some other folks succeed at it, too. Very cool, man. Well, again, I appreciate you, and I hope you have a great day uh, the rest of the day at the job. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. I appreciate it. And with that, I, I really enjoyed our interview together with Charles, and I hope that it inspires you to figure out what you can do if your dream is to have something of your own, like Charles has built or I've built here or many other members of this audience have built here. And that kind of you know leads me to one of the things you should think about if you're building a business is how to get exposure. So one way to do that is in the TSP Business Directory. Every day I feature somebody on the TSP Business Directory here on the air, and uh, you can find them at tspbiz.com. And uh, in doing so, you can do business with members of this community. Today's um, featured member of the directory is Two Chicks Meat and Poultry. They provide local pasture-raised, non-GMO, non-soy chickens to the central Texas market. So if you're in my area, that'd be a good group to check out to get some pastured poultry. And if you try pastured poultry, you'll be like, Oh, now I get it. I'll tell you that. And I just want to throw a little plug for the directory today, not just for people to go and use it, uh, but please also review members when you do business with them. That helps everybody. And I want to point out, yes, you can get into the directory for five bucks for six months um, with a base listing, which means you're listed below everybody else, but you're there. We do that primarily to prevent spam. But did you know, like, to be a bronze supporter and get a one-year uh, exposure in our directory and get multiple listings on the air like this, probably three or four a year, uh, something like that. It's 60 bucks. If you have a business, that's a good investment. 60 bucks. What if you wanted to, uh, to just set it and forget it for three years, to be in our directory for three years and featured on the show? You know, it, it, we just run them in order of all the people that are sponsors. I mean, you can become a gold member in our directory, it's a three year subscription. You get 1,200 characters listing, up to 10 attachment images. You're featured in Google Maps. You have tags. You gold badge displayed in your listing. You know how much all that is? 170 bucks. And what if you want to make sure your listing is at the top, period? You can add featured listing to any of our, our sponsorships for 40 bucks, 39.99. And that's a one-time fee, and as long as you remain a member on any level of participation, you're sticky to the top of your category. And guys, the more of you that participate in the directory, the more that's there, the more it'll get used, the more people will do business with each other, the better, it'll, better, better it will work. I didn't put the business directory out to make a bunch of money. Indeed, I give a lot of the revenue away to Blake, who runs it. Um, I put it together to help you guys. And the more participation on all levels, using it, doing business with people, and doing reviews, the more successful it will be for everybody so that we can all have something of our own because the best economy we can create is an interlinked one where we all do business with each other whenever it makes sense. Okay, 
Uh, with that, if you want to support me and the work that I do, the way to do that best is to become a member of the Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to Learn More, Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders like EMT, paramedics, and firefighters. All of you qualify for a discount for your service to our nation at home and or at abroad. Uh, all you do is go sign up there. If you are not that, if you are that and you want the discount code before you join, not after you join, email me, Jack, at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. Give me a little info about your service in one or two sentences. And yes, it applies to anyone in any of those service branches, whether you are active duty or prior service. does not matter. I was uh, an EMT for three years. Do I qualify? Yes. Yes, you do. That's how that works. If you've served us at any time in those positions, I give you a discount forever. Everybody else, it's a great deal. Please check it out. Just If you've, if you've always wondered... Go to the survivalpodcast.com today. Look up at the top and where it says members, click on it. And just read all the companies that give you discounts and how big the discounts are. And I think it'll make your decision to join pretty easy. The other great way to support me is go to tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z.com. tspaz.com. If you do that, you'll see the Amazon item of the day. If you don't want to do with it, shop on Amazon like you always do, and we get credit for your business on Amazon. I think that is the easiest way, and if you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway and you like our show, why not do it? You type in one less letter. Our item of today is pretty cool. It is the uh, the Goal Zero Rockout speaker. I got mine from Josiah Wallingford when he was my uh, intern uh, at one of the barter blankets here at a TSP event, and uh, I didn't know what they cost or anything. I just, you know, he put that down, and I knew something he wanted. I don't even remember what it was. I knew it was something he had his eye on while he was living here. I'm like, I'll give you this for it, and we traded and uh, there, it turns out they're only like 25 bucks. Great sound. Your smaller form factor phones, like my iPhone 6S, actually fits inside it so it's protected. Um, it'll work on anything with a 3.5 millimeter jack. 24 something. It's like 25 bucks. Free shipping on Prime. 11 hours of playtime on a two hour charge. Charges through a standard USB cable on one side with mini USB on the other that comes with it. I've used it for laptops. I've done all kinds of things with this. And, you know, I have a $300 Bose sound, uh, sound link that is like high fidelity. Sounds like the speaker systems that you had rack systems from this little bitty thing. Bluetooth, anything helps it. That's great. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to take that out in the woods and get it dirty. I don't want to take it to the beach when we go to the beach and get sand in it. Uh, I don't want to dangle it from my pack when I'm taking a walk in the woods and I want to sit down and actually listen to music with other people instead of just using headphones. And frankly, as long as I'm somewhere I'm not disturbing somebody, I'd rather be out listening to music without it being in headphones because then I'm actually still situationally aware. When you put headphones in, you kind of lose that situational awareness. And it's from Goal Zero, lithium-ion battery, good stuff. Um, check it out. I even have a video in today's post about it. Uh, another reminder, real quick, about this. I, I did realize like everybody's getting on the email list is getting two emails a day, and some people don't like that. Um, so I have it set up now. If you're on my email list, you get an email when there's two new posts on the blog. So usually it's the Amazon item of the day and a uh, an episode that went out in one email to make it less email. And people are asking like, are you going to have like Jack Spiergel one two three four like Stephen Harris or something? No, actually, if you go to the the site, the survivalpodcast.com, and you look right under the Val head on the banner, you'll see Amazon reviews, podcast blogs, videos, and those are all links. Amazon reviews will pull them all up. And uh, as we get enough in there to make it worth it, Dorothy's going to go through and classify everything like electronics and shooting equipment and outdoor equipment, stuff like that. And we'll tag them, and then we'll have a page based on those anchor tags, and you'll be able to look all the stuff up. But it's just we don't have enough of it to make it worth doing that yet. She's going to start classifying those this week, though, for me, and we'll come up with a system that will make it really, really simple when I add things, and then you'll be able to find them. 
And uh, remember, you can always use a search feature on the blog. It searches everything, just not podcasts. So I thought maybe you'd like that. Now, our closing song of the day today is another one set to me by a listener. I have like this love-hate relationship with Kid Rock. I think some of his music just, uh, it's not me. You know, white boy screaming rock rap is, is not me. Um, this song actually kind of has a little bit of a rap vibe to it, though, but it's not one that I dislike. It's called Amen. And, man, this song hits home. This song fits right with the message that I give you guys all the time. And, again, I have this, like, love-hate relationship with Kid Rock, because some of his music I just don't like. But, I mean, some of you don't like every podcast I do, right? So that doesn't take away from the ones I do well. And I think... I think Kid Rock is kind of actually an underrated artist. I think because he has a little bit of a willingness to toot his own horn that people like say, oh, he's not that great. The guy can do just about any genre of music out there. Um, I think what sold me was the first time I heard Picture, his duet with Sheryl Crow. This song kind of has more of that like low-key low, low key thing going on to it. But, um, man, it's just... It's, it's just... It hits so much home because like it is an anti-war song, but yet it's not an anti-soldier song. And again, if you're not anti-war, then you're pro-war, and that doesn't make sense. And real soldiers are generally, especially once they, they pull back from the emotion, the most anti-war people you'll ever find. How about the opening stanza? It's another night in hell. Another child won't live to tell. Can you imagine what it's like to starve to death? And we sit free and well. Another soldier has to yell, Tell my wife and children I love them with his last breath. Does that hit home? Does that hit home? And in those situations, right now, is anybody better off for it? But there's a lot of good stuff in the middle of this. And I want you to just listen to it and experience it for yourself. But I'll tell you what. In the end, it comes back around to telling you what I tell you all the time. It's a matter of salvation from them patience up above. So don't give up so damn easy on the one you love, one you love. Somewhere you got a brother, sister, friend, grandmother, niece, or nephew just dying to be with you. You know there's someone out there who unconditionally, religiously loves you. So just hold on, because you know it's true. And if you can take the pain, and you can withstand anything, and one day stand hand in hand with the truth. With the truth. The truth Indeed, folks, is what I've been leading you to find for yourself because there's the truth and there's your truth. To succeed in business or in life, the way we talked about today with Charles, you have to find your truth. But when it comes to facts about what actually happened, where somebody's been abused or where somebody did the best they could and it looks bad, there's only one actual truth, and it's up to us to discern that. And it's up to us to spend most of our time and most of our efforts not worrying about the things we don't control, but the things that we do control, the things that we do influence. And in the end, what that message says is what I try to say to you all the time, and I'll say amen to that. There's no solution from the politicians. The solution is here with you and the people you care about and your community and the people around you and the people you influence. Stand up, kick ass, take names, and stand hand in hand with the truth. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
It's another night in hell, another child won't live to tell. Can you imagine what it's like to starve to death? And as we sit free and well, another soldier has to yell, Tell my wife and children I love them in his last breath. Come on now, amen, 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 amen. Habitual offenders, scumbag lawyers with agendas. I tell you sometimes, people, I don't know what's worse. Natural disasters, all these wolves and sheep clothed pastors. Now, goddammit, I'm scared to send my children to church. And how can we seek salvation when our nation's race relations got me feeling guilty of being white? But faith in human nature, our creator and our savior, I'm no saint when I believe in what is right. Come on now, Away from the flame, open up your mind and start to live. Stop shortchanging your neighbors and living off handouts and favors. Maybe give a little bit more than you got to give. Got to give. Simplify, testify, identify, rectify. And if I get high, stop being so uptight. It's only you. Say it. 